The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, good morning again for the 10th time. Um, Hey, uh, we're wrapping up today our series, Enemy at Work. This has been probably one of the longer series that we've ever done. Um, And uh, again, just trying to dispel uh, the enemy at work. When you look at John 10, 10, Jesus talks about the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that that they may have life and have life abundantly. So just trying to uh, expose what the enemy tries to do, but also help us navigate towards the life that God wants us to have. So if you're looking for a spot today in scripture, um, turn to John chapter 14, the gospel of John chapter 14. We're gonna land there. I wanna say this as I often do, but I encourage you to bring your Bibles. I think it's encouraging uh, to, to navigate through the pages, know where certain things are at. I know if you got a smartphone with a Bible app, that works fine as well. Um, and then I encourage you to take notes, not because what I say is so profound, but in particular, um, just things, you know, paper, your computer doesn't forget, or your notes on your phone doesn't forget as much as you do. And there's some references to scripture that I wanna offer you that you can maybe look up later today throughout the week, some things that I think can encourage you that take the message a little bit further. Uh, when I was about, I, I'm gonna guess, maybe eight or nine years old, um, I had been somewhere at a friend's house and uh, I remember going back to my house. And I, if I remember, I like rode my bike home. And when I got there, my parents weren't there. Nobody was home. Uh, when you're that age, that wasn't expected. And so I remember this feeling of like, they're gone. Like, what if they never come back? And what if I missed where they went? And, you know, and there's this, this sense of dread and panic that kind of came over me. I remember um, I, I called a family member and they managed to drive over and make sure I was okay until my parents finally showed up. But for whatever reason, I, I look back on that. I can still sort of remember that feeling of like utter alone and dread in that moment. I'm still getting counseling for that. No, I'm not really. But, um, but anyway, I remember that. And for all of us, I think maybe as kids, we've had those moments, especially when you feel that vulnerable as a kid to feel utterly alone. But maybe even as adults, you've had those moments where you feel so alone. They've, they've, you know, people have said many times in life that you can be in a crowd of people and still feel alone. You can be around people you love dearly and still feel alone. And, and again, I want to I wanna process this today because Jesus gives us some words, and I think they're especially important as we end this series, Enemy at Work, in, in John chapter 14. Now, I think of, uh, for my wife and I, raising our kids, obviously, Em was up here, she's 18, she's graduating, but I think back to when she was I don't, maybe 11 or 12 years old, and we decided, okay, I think it's time that we can actually go on a date without having to hire babysitters, which by the way, when you get to that point in life, a whole world opens up. Can I hear an amen from anyone? Like, come on, like, yeah. So anyway, we got to that point a few years back that our, we felt like Em was old enough that we could, you know, she could kind of watch the kids and she was excited to do it. She's like, yeah, go. Um, but here's the thing, when, when we were gonna do that, if, if you're a parent like Heather and I have been, what we did was we prepared them like, okay, here's the deal. We're gonna go, here's where we're going. Here's how long we're gonna be gone. Okay, you know our phone numbers, but you know, here, here, here they are in our phone and you don't even have to dial, or in your phone, you don't have to dial the number. You can just hit the button. It will call them. Um, nobody's planning on coming over. So if the doorbell rings, you're not gonna answer. Okay, nobody's gonna run to the door. Kids, nobody run to the door. Um, went through all the motions of leaving them alone. So then we left and of course, the entire time you're gone, what are you thinking and talking about? Oh, our kids, and I hope they're okay. And you know, are they all dead? You know what's going on here? You know, you just all this stuff goes on 
in your head. And we had planned to be gone, I think probably to grab a meal. We, you know, we used to live right up by Getchell High School, like go downtown to Marysville, eat a meal and go home. It'll take like an hour, hour and a half. Well, I think we were gone like probably 40 minutes because we were like, let's just get back home. Um, we get home and guess what? They were fine. They were like bummed we were home so early. Like, you're here already? You know? Um, and so then we left overnight and so, no, we didn't do that. But, <laughs> but what's, what's the difference between the, the time that I was a kid and I got home and nobody was there and the time that, that my wife and I go, the difference is this, we had prepared them. It's not that my parents never prepared us. It was just in that moment on that day, I had no idea I was gonna get home at, at you know, eight or nine years old and, and feel utterly alone. The difference is in the preparation. And that's where for, for my kids, they trusted the training we gave them. Okay, we know, here's what we can do. Here's what we shouldn't do. You know, here's who we can call. Here's who's, all that stuff. So that when we got home, they were fine. They did great. Um, they trusted their training. Here's the thing that I want us to understand. Jesus trained the disciples. And you and I, if, if you would say you're a follower of Jesus, you and I would be disciples. Well, guess what? Jesus has trained us as well. It's why I say in basically every message, this is the importance of being readers and studiers of scripture. Why? Because Jesus is, is got you in training. You and I are in training to prepare for all these different things that are going to come our way. And he did the same thing with his disciples 2,000 years ago as he does with us. John 14 Verse one starts in with this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Or why would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus, today, I pray for us to wrap our hearts around something that Jesus is telling his disciples way back when, and I believe Jesus is telling us today. And so I, I pray for open hearts and I pray for us to embrace deep down in our core something that Jesus is telling us that really we ought, we, we ought to and we can carry with us each day of the lives we have on this earth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jesus jumps in here and says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, here's the thing. One of the things that you and I do when we read scripture is it's easy to end a chapter 13 and jump into a new chapter as if there wasn't a conversation already going. The key here is to go back to 13 and remember what Jesus is saying. So just for a moment, I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit of the end of John chapter 13. Jesus is preparing the disciples by saying, I'm going to go away. Now, specifically, what he's saying is, without saying it, is I'm going to die and be buried and raised again and, and, and ascend into heaven. I'm going, something is changing about the dynamic of our relationship. And Peter, at the end of John 13, pipes in and says, well, wherever you're going to go, I'm going to go. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. Again, he, he, specifically, Jesus is, is alluding to the crucifixion. He says, no, no you're not going to do that. And in fact, he goes on to say, Peter, you think you're ready to go with me wherever and you're not, you're gonna deny me three times. So all of a sudden, this is the moment where if you're a disciple in the room with Jesus, you're like, what is going on here? This has me troubled. So that's why John 14, one is not a verse all by itself. 
That's why he says to them and he says to you and me, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's the context. Now, a key word I want you to hone in on is this. Verse, uh, verse one says, it says, do not let. Now, keep in mind what that means is it's a decision you and I have. And maybe you've never seen it this way before, but you and I are the gatekeepers of our hearts. You and I are, are, are the stewards of the things that we let in to our hearts. And that's a bigger deal than maybe you and I could ever make it. That there's things that you experience, that there's decisions that you make to let certain things in. And here where it would be easy for them to be troubled, he's reminding them, don't let that happen. Don't give in to the fear that you're feeling that all of a sudden you and I aren't gonna be walking the streets of Jerusalem. That you and I aren't gonna be walking the streets of Nazareth. We're not gonna have this same relationship even though it's going to change. Don't let it trouble you. And in the same way for you and I, as we face fear or anxiety, as we face dread or panic, as we face grief and bad news and stuff that can so easily overwhelm us, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. If you're taking notes, write down Luke chapter six, verse 45. Because in Luke 6, 45, Jesus had said this, a good person brings good things out of the good stored up in them. But an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in them. Jesus is going back. It's the same idea that whatever you're letting in, then guess what? When the temperature's turned up in life, when the thing happens that gets you to the edge of, of, of sort of sanity, what's going to come out? And so it's that reminder that you and I are the gatekeepers. Are we gonna allow the emotion of the day to rule us? Are we gonna allow the reaction that burns the bridges to have its way? Are we gonna allow the panic to, to get us eaten up so much so that, that we get ulcers? Are we gonna allow the, the news that we don't like or that, that causes something to rise up? Are we gonna allow that to have its way in our lives? Do not let your hearts be troubled. But then as the verse continues, Jesus gets more specific about it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God Believe also in me. Going back to Jesus' disciples, they would have been in a place where you know, the general idea is that yes, there's a higher power out there. More specifically for these guys, it was the God of the Old Testament, this Yahweh, this Lord that they had read about, new stories about, grew up in synagogue learning. There were things that they already would have known. So Jesus is basically saying, look, you already believe in this God Yahweh. You already believe in the Lord. But here's the thing, let me get more specific. Believe also in me. In the world that you and I live in, there, there are you know, a majority of people believe in some kind of higher power. Believe in, in, in some kind, of, there's a God out there. Whatever that God is about or however that God works, most people would agree there are religions all over our world that say you know, there, there, there's something out there, there's a God, they give it a name. There, there are certain religions that, that, that there's multiple you know, gods and, and, and multiple ways in, in, in Hinduism alone. There's over 33 million gods in their belief system. 
And there, you, you can literally, in your home, set up all these different little statue idols of, of, of certain animals and certain things and even certain people that, that, depending on your mood or depending on your situation, you can pray to all these different gods because here's what you need today, but here's what you need tomorrow. And yet, and yet for you and I, if we're followers of Christ, we believe in one God. And so this is where it can go, well, wait a minute here. He's saying, believe in God, believe in me. And then he goes on in John 14, and I'm not gonna get into this too much, but he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And, and, and we could take for granted that Jesus says this, but here's the thing, that this was a big deal. See, what you need to understand about the gospels as you read Matthew and Mark or Luke or, or John is that the heat is being turned up over time. At first, they're like, who is this clown? The religious leader, who is this clown? He has weird things to say. Hey, let's go challenge him. Let's figure out what he believes. And they're like, okay, that's weird. That's strange. But there came a point where they began to go, wait a minute, people are really starting to listen and we better start paying a little more attention. And as they paid more attention, the heat was turned up to the point where like, we got to shut this guy up. We got to get him out of here. We, we, maybe we need to have him flogged, stoned. But there came a point where it was literally, we need to have him killed. This is not okay. And so when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, there's your reason because he's saying, I'm on par with God. As followers of Christ and in our theology, we believe in the, the, the picture of the Trinity. God in three parts, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing, the nuance of it is this, we don't believe it's three gods. We're not polytheists, many. We believe there's one God. It's very important to understand this. That's why you won't see the word Trinity named in scripture as Trinity. It's how theologians hundreds of years ago began to carve out and define this idea that there's, there's this God the Father, but there's also this you know, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, which by the way, he's gonna go on to talk about further in John 14 and then 15 and 16. And so that this whole idea when Jesus says, like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, listen, time out. It's important to under, like, here's the deal. You and I, we're in a room together, if I got up here today and was like, hey, so glad you guys are here. I just want you to know, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen God. You'd be like, where's the exit? Like two to the front, two to the side, two to the back. Let's get out. Go, blasphemy, right? That's what Jesus is doing. And yet he's doing it because he is the Messiah. When he says it, they're at the point already here where they want him to be killed. So when Jesus is saying, I've got to go He's, he's in his frame of reference, it's I'm going to go, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, I will rise again, appear and then ascend into heaven. That, that's the work I'm gonna do. All they understood was he's not gonna be hanging out with us anymore. So, so here he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Somebody might ask sometimes you or, or me, and, and as a pastor, I do get asked this, you know, you, you believe in, in Jesus. What makes you believe in Jesus, why, why, do you, why do you feel so convinced that Jesus is the way to heaven, that he is the savior? And part of the conversation, there's many facets to it, but part of the conversation would be this. When you look at the historical uh, evidence of the disciples, you look at their lives and look at the stories that play out, even beyond what the scriptures talk about in, in church history, first century, what you'll find is a, a bunch of individuals that not only followed him, not only at times were confused and struggled to understand what he was saying, which they did, but as, as the story continues, you, you have a bunch of individuals that, that you look at their lives and they witnessed the miracles and they saw the teaching 
and they listened to what, and, and they didn't fully understand until later on it says their eyes were open. But then what do you have? You have a group of individuals that, that began to believe so wholeheartedly in his death and burial and resurrection that they gave up everything in their lives, all that they had to follow it, to, to, to share that message with other people. That's how important it was. But it continues on when you look at the life of all the disciples except Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus, and it says in scripture, hanged himself. But beyond that, the other 11, along with many, many, many others, they gave their lives, they gave their livelihoods, they gave their comfort, they gave their acceptance by their own people and, and the willingness to be rejected. Why? To go out and say, look, the Messiah has come. It is for real, and it is Jesus, and that's why it matters. And guess what happened to them? Every single one of them died a martyr's death. Jesus says to Peter, here, you can't go where I'm going. But you know what? Later on, he would say, in fact, you will. And guess what happened to Peter? Peter was crucified upside down, willingly, because he said, don't crucify me like Jesus. I'm not worthy to die like that. Can you imagine being crucified and then inverted and that's the way you die? John, John didn't die a martyr giving his life, but guess what happened to him? He was boiled in oil as persecution for his faith in Jesus, and he survived. And because he survived, they exiled him to the island of Patmos. And what happened there? He lived out his days in exile, but he had a vision of something incredible, and we call it today the book of Revelation. But it's this picture that John had as a disciple that gave everything of what he saw that Jesus showed him. Every one of the disciples was, was martyred for their faith. Why do I believe that Jesus, because I don't believe they would go, hey, you know that clown that was talking about being this big thing? Let's all die for him. There's far more to our faith than some surfacey, oh, it's just some dusty old book religion thing. I would say to anybody, the most important thing you can do, if what I'm saying is true, the most important thing you can do is look into it. Because it's huge. And Jesus is getting to a point here. There's a little sidebar. Jesus is getting to a point here. You believe in God? Believe also in me. And then he goes on, and I love verse two. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? In verse three, and if I go to prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. John 14 verses two and three are huge. As I said a little bit ago, as I opened going back to John 10, 10, Jesus was clear that there is an enemy at work in our world. Steal, kill, and destroy is not allegory. It's not like some fun picture of, of, of something symbolic. There is an enemy. Paul says, as we open this series in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10, I'm just going to quote it, but he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and principalities and powers of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything to stand, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Gosh, pastor, you always talk about reading the Bible. That's why. 
Put the belt of truth around your waist so you're not exposing your pants fall down. <laughs> he says, put the, put the breastplate of righteousness in place. Again, not the shame of being exposed in, in your chest, but protecting yourself with the righteousness of Christ. But then he says, with the helmet of salvation in place. Why does he say it that way? Because the helmet of salvation is, is, is what doesn't allow our mind or our head to be exposed to the fiery darts of the enemy. We put that on to be protected. Well, what does that mean? Salvation. Well, what does that mean? It means inviting Jesus in to your life because he paid the price for all of your sin. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture says you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from separation from God. Separation from Christ in eternity saved us from that, and we're secure in that position. We don't have to fear all that goes on in our world. We don't have to live in dread of all the things that we see and, and hear and navigate through. I'm ready to do cartwheels. Because <laughs> when Paul talks about the helmet of salvation, it's that security in, in, in our standing with Christ that allows us to live lives with vibrancy with joy, protected from what the enemy tries to do. And again, you can continue reading through Ephesians 6, continues to talk about the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, feet ready. All those things are super important. But I bring it up because when he says helmet of salvation, if you've invited Jesus into your world, if you said yes to faith in Christ, then, then you and I have a position that gives us continued security. Are you gonna face trouble? Are you gonna go through struggles? Does life sometimes get overwhelming? Yeah. Is that a yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for every one of us. But Jesus says, don't be troubled by all these things. Believe in God, believe also in me. And by the way, you should know that I'm going to prepare a place for you. After Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin, died, was buried, raised from the dead on the third day, appeared to the disciples and, and many, many, many other people. It says in Acts 1, he ascended into heaven. And then what? If you continue to read John 14, he says, I'm going away but I'm sending something for you. I have a gift called the Holy Spirit that will live inside of you, that will empower you, that, that, that will allow you to, to live that life that I was talking about in John 10, 10, that you can live that out. God, you guys, has prepared eternity for you and me, that while we face whatever we face in this world, don't you dare forget I win. Don't you dare forget. Anybody ever read the last chapter of a book before you actually read a book? Anyone ever done that? Like six of us. You're like, I don't even read books anymore. I watched the movie. Book was so much better. <laughs> Anybody ever wanted to watch a certain movie, but you had to ask a friend what the end was so that you maybe then watch it? Yeah. Every one of us has got the spoiler alert sometimes. And then we're like, okay, now I can watch it because now I know what's up. The thing about what Jesus does here is he says, hey, I'm going to prepare a place. Hey, don't be troubled. Hey, everything's going to be okay. And that's not to minimize what you and I face. That's not to minimize the fact that our emotions get all out of whack or that we grieve or that we face pain. We do. And it hurts. But don't ever forget. Don't ever let out of your heart the fact that in the end, you guys, God wins. God wins. 
Jesus says to the disciples, hey, gang, I win. Just so you know, I win. And that's the secret he's giving you and I. John, in Revelation, gets even more specific. And I want to read it to you because I think it's such a beautiful, beautiful picture. The last book that we have in the Bible, we call them books of the Bible, letters. But John has this picture of the end. And there's all kinds of, you get, anybody ever read the book of Revelation? Just raise your hands. Yeah, anybody ever been as confused as I've been? And you just, yeah. Even as a pastor, I'm like, I don't know. Okay, I mean, honestly, there's like seven golden lampstands and seven bowls of God's wrath and thousand year reign. All you're like, I don't know. But here's what I love. As you get towards the end, there's a promise. And I love how I really believe that, that John is basically taking what Jesus says in John 14 and giving us a little clearer snapshot. In Revelation 21, starting at verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That can be a weird way to put it, but he's talking about the church. He's talking about you and I as the bride of Christ. It goes on. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. That was dramatic. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. I want you to think about it. Let me read that again. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Do you remember how the scriptures open in Genesis? God is with them. Go back to the very beginning before sin came in and wrecked us. Now what it says is that God was with them. There was this picture that was so beautiful that was broken because of sin. And in the beginning, you have this whole picture of glorious creation and mankind in the midst of it. And it's, it's incredible. But see, what you got to understand from, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is after you get through Genesis 3, it's a picture of God's love for all of mankind. Going back to the Old Testament, the temple, going back to Abraham and the establishment of a people. This idea, of, I'm, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to win them back because he loves us that much. And when you and I get to the end, when we cross the veil from this earth into eternity, John says, God's going to be with us in a new way once everything's done. And God is gonna be with us. And I love this. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Anybody need that? Tell me no more death. Please, please. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. John refers to that as the old order of things. The way things are in a broken world. Relationships that get severed. Death that happens. 
sin that gets in between us sometimes. John says it's all going to be done. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What's my point in this whole message today? My point is this, the picture that you and I are given, as you look, and there's so many more scriptures, I don't have time for it, that, that say, look, in the end, God wins. In the end, there's a place prepared for you and me that whether it's his return at some point and this whole clouds of heaven glory thing we call the rapture or, or it's, it's this individual thing where we breathe our last breath and we, we cross that veil. I win. I got you. Do not let eternity out of your heart. Don't do it. And all that you face, don't do it. Be reminded all the time there's a place. The Jameses were missed. We're here barely, barely any time. And then we move on to where we're prepared to go forever. That's, what, that's why you and I can have joy. Last, last couple things. Write down John 16, 22. Jesus says, no one can take away your joy. And you go, that's a tall order. Life gets rough. Yeah, but at the core, there's still a joy. At the core, I'm holding on. At the core, eternity. And then he says in John 16, 33, take heart. I've overcome. Take heart. There's always eternity. Take heart. As crazy as this world gets, the news you get from whoever and wherever, doctor, take heart. Last thing. I think. No, it is. When I was um, in 1999, when I was just a young buck, just, just a kid. Okay, I was still kind of old. In 1999, I was invited, you know, with a friend to go on a bachelor party to Whistler. I'd never been to Whistler before. And so we went skiing. My wife and I weren't quite married yet. In fact, we would get engaged that spring and get married that summer. And um, she specifically said to me, I've always loved skiing. And I, 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 I do some, some dumb stuff sometimes. And so she said, don't go out of ski area boundary. Whatever you do up there, don't go out of ski area. I said, it's cool, you got it. She probably wanted to marry me. So, that, you know, anyway. So we're up there and there's, I don't know, there's eight or 10 of us. We're having a great time. And I, anybody ski or snowboard like a lot and love it? Okay, I seriously, that's my whole season in the winter. I would love it. Anyway, there was, there was like, that day there was like waist deep powder. Like not, it was amazing. And we're skiing, we're skiing, snowboarding down this, this, this kind of trail after getting off the lift. And I look over and there's this field of powder. You, you, can't, you can't pass it up. And so I'm like, I'm gonna ski through that. And then the trail is, it, it probably switches right back and I'll just come, it'll be good. So I go hopping through this thing of pie and it was waist deep and it was work and it was incredible. It was so fun. I probably look like I should be on a Warren Miller film, even though I'm not that good. So I, I, I hopped through it. Great. Loved it. And I ski through the woods a little bit and the trail, there's no trail. I'm like, oh, shoot. Okay. What I didn't know at the time, but I knew after was that there was a sign that said ski area boundary. So I was out of, out of bounds and I hopped through this field. I skied a bit. And I'm like, well, if I keep skiing, they'll, it'll switch back and I'll just meet up with them. So I keep going, which is super smart. <laughs> and I stop and it's snowing pretty good. And, and literally, I'm like, I don't even hear people now. Like all I hear is snow falling. And I keep skiing, like I'll, I'll meet up with them. And so I keep going and, and like I keep going. The problem is not only do I not hear anybody, but it's getting a little bit steeper and a little bit steeper as time goes on. Now, I am not exaggerating when I share this, okay? I'm really not. 
I continued on and there was a point where there was cliffs and I'm like, well, I, that's, that's not gonna work. So I kind of stayed to the right thinking, well, the trail I went off was to the right. So if I stay to the right, eventually, so I keep going and there's nobody. And I'm pretty deep into the woods here and it's pretty steep. And at one point I lost my balance. Now, again, you're gonna think I'm exaggerating and I'm not. I fell and my skis got stuck in branches and I was hanging upside down in a tree. Like I wasn't super far off the ground, but I'm like, I have 30 seconds of terror. Like, this is how they're gonna find me in the spring. Like, this is not good. You know what I mean? Like, you ever see the news? You're like, oh, that guy should not have done that. Like, right? 30 seconds, maybe a minute, like sheer terror, panicking, freaking out, stuck in a tree. Like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die like this. Little, so all of a sudden, after that, that amount of time goes by, whatever it might've been, it wasn't super long. I'm like, okay, God, you're with me. God, you got me. I'm telling you, I know it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but, but that changed everything. I knew because I knew God was with me because I knew and I've been studying your scripture. I was going to Bible school back then trying to work on a degree for ministry and stuff. God, you are with me. So whatever goes on here, you're gonna get me out of this because I'm pretty sure I'm not gonna die and end up on the news. But if I do, God, you're with me. And I know it sounds like exaggeration, but that changed everything. And little by little, I managed to get my skis undone. I kind of fell to the ground. It wasn't super far, but I was stuck. Uh, fell to the ground, put my skis back on, skied out and managed to get out. Longer, long story short, um, I lived, I survived. So why do I share that? Because that was the difference. The idea, okay, God, you're with me, changed everything. For you, whatever you face, God, you're with me. And you've given me a promise of eternity. And because I hold that promise in my heart, whatever goes on, you're here. And that makes all the difference. And that's my prayer for all of us. Whether it's a moment of terror like that, feeling alone, or it's the fact that you've got great people around you and yet somehow in your core, you still feel alone whether it's news you've received or an experience you're going through that, that emotionally it's just overwhelming, please remember eternity. Please remember this picture that God gives us. Let's never let go of what God has prepared. Jesus, today, we pray for you to echo this reminder in our hearts that it changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we navigate our days. It changes how we do life you've gone to prepare a place. Don't be troubled. Eventually, at the end of this time here, there's something amazing. And I pray that we would put our trust in what you have done. Jesus, we need you. We thank you for what you've provided that we hold in our hearts until we get there. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.